Three. Here. Now I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Good evening, all, and welcome to this broadcast of BTR News with yours truly, Scotty Reed. As I broadcast from behind these enemy lines, I refer to sometimes as USA Inc. And this will not be our first episode on the Black Talk Radio Network, um, taking a look at the situation in Ukraine. As uh, uh, the title of this episode is I on Ukraine, Episode 1. There have been two others, and the one that where Dave Wren of Tando Radio Show was a guest, that one has been really popular uh, on the uh, podcasting platforms. And so, um, but this will be the third, actually, uh, podcast that has been created, taking a look at Ukraine. For those that don't know me, I have... Um, military background regular listeners know that that i served in the gulf war uh part of the united states army in its signal corps which is um military speak for communications uh also worked in uh training departments and so i had about six years of experience and being in an active war zone so whenever i talk about war um i ask you the listener to look at it from the perspective of a soldier and not that all soldiers think alike but this is how i thought when i was uh sent to a place where i didn't understand the politics i mean i got a grasp of it but it was not until after my tour duty was up where i spent my my tour in saudi arabia and um but it was well after that i finally learned the geopolitics of it later but the central question when you're facing life and death and not just facing life and death for yourself but the fact that you might have to kill others or you're participating in the kill the mass killing of others um whether it's from dropping bombs whether it's from mortar attacks tanks just you artillery or a soldier uh, shooting uh, shooting using his uh, personal weapon, whether it be a firearm or a sidearm, uh, rifle or a sidearm. So when you're looking at it from that perspective, especially at the lower uh, levels, because I was only a spec four, um, had just went to the promotion board to get my E5 uh, sergeant stripes, um, but ended up getting out before that. Um, largely influenced by that, my participation in that war and the effect that the negative impact it had on my uh, young family at the time. But I thought about, you know, this soldier over here, he might be an E-1 private. I don't know the uh, Iraqi's military uh, rank ranking system. I don't know. Maybe he's an E-1 private. Maybe he's an E-2. Maybe he's a probably first class, maybe a spec four like I was, a specialist, and then uh, maybe he was a sergeant. But when you're talking about especially 
uh, what we call NCOs, non-commissioned officers, the backbone of especially your ground ground troops. That's just mostly regular people in all armies. They had no decision in being there other than that for various reasons, whether it was the enticement of the GI Bill and getting uh, college money. And, and matching grants, that's, you know, what the um, GI Bill was about. Uh, that's what I was eligible for. You, you put so much into the fund, and they supposed to match it. But anyway, that entices a lot of people who did not want to go into debt in order to attain higher education, not to mention you during peacetime, you can uh, take college courses at your duty stations. I was stationed near Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I was also stationed in Hawaii. So they have universities and colleges, community colleges. So you for that enticement is, is why a lot of, especially poor and middle class, uh, like myself, especially at that age, reason we join. Or maybe it was for, quote, unquote, God and country. You know, we had these religious zealots and also um, – nationality where we put so much stock and pride in a nationality which refers to one who is a citizen of whatever nation and lives within its boundaries or outside its boundaries, but you take pride in your nation. And I'm not talking about the Olympics where you have nations competing against each other in athletics, but that's also part of the PSYOPs or the psychological operation to get people to to adopt the gang mentality because it, it's the same. It's parallel to what we talk about when we talk about street families or AKA street gangs, and and so uh, or high school rivalries. And in in Charlotte, North Carolina, there are reports of high school teenagers who did drive by on other high school teenagers. I think one person was shot, not not sure, so don't quote me, but it just comes to my mind of what I'm talking about. That's the level they was taking their high school rivalry to. And it's all based on on pride. And it's no secret also to my regular listeners that I identify as a, a African-American or a black Christian. And what does the scripture tell us about pride? Look them up what the Bible says about pride, especially in the book of Proverbs, how pride comes before the fall. And, and you know, just, and that's what it's all rooted in, pride. And then we had these nations, all of these nations involved in uh, Ukraine, Russia, United States, European, they're quote-unquote Christian nations are, are are they not? So they purport that everybody's a Christian. Well, anybody can call themselves whatever. Proof is in the pudding, uh, so to speak. Or it's your actions. It's not just your words. That's scriptural. So you know we have so we taken so much pride, and we're chilling. We're we're on social media cheering the killing of Russian soldiers. Why? Why? And I'm sure it's probably um, 
Russian citizens who might feel the same way in cheering for the killing of Ukrainians, particularly the the type, the Ukrainian soldiers of the neo-Nazi variety, which we covered in the previous two podcasts. I won't unnecessarily get into that, but hey, you know, uh, as a black male behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc., where slavery is still allowed by the U.S. Constitution and many state constitutions, just so, you know, there's been a few of them who have have, um, the citizens voted to amend their constitutions and, and get rid of that slavery exception clause. But, we, you know, I'm looking at it from that perspective of I know, I know white supremacy, and I know suspect racists and confirm white supremacists and their behavior towards non-white people. So we'll be getting into all of that. So before I get in ahead of myself, jump right in, let me give out some phone numbers. If you attempted to listen to a broadcast with, I believe it was Friday night, might have been Wednesday night, we were attempting to do a live broadcast and the studio board just shut down on us, so we were unable to complete that, but we always record a backup podcast, and so, of course, we were able to post that later, so you know the technical difficulties that we had, but I didn't have a backup really at that time pre-set up, Um, but um, if you want to weigh in on our topics, which I'll get into tonight's topics from the news feed, and we'll just say whatever news feed, social media news feed, Google news feed, whatever news feed, wherever you get your news from, but we're pretty much all seeing the same sources uh, based on where we're located geographically here behind the United States. Um, But the telephone numbers uh, to call in if you have a question or comment is 626-213-5779. That is 626-213-5779. And our backup studio switchboard number, in case we get disconnected from that number, you can give us a call at 1-717-908-1834. That's 1-717-908-1834. And then enter the participant code 269-626. Again, that participant code is 269-626. Now, if you're listening if or attempting to listen to the main uh, radio stream from Black Talk Radio Network, we are in transition right now, the Black Talk Media Project, that is, which provides the radio server as well as the platform, um, blacktalkradionetwork.com. But we are transitioning from our radio servers that we've been utilizing and leasing since. 2008 is broke down. It's just broke down, and we got to transition. So while that auto DJ is running, I'm not broadcasting live on there. I'm actually uh, testing the new servers, which that server isn't public yet. Um, so we're in tra- that. I said all that to let you know we're in transition, and we hope to get this new server uh, up and running, which is uh, more updated. It is the latest updated. Uh, server for the type of software, radio software that 
that we use, and that's good news not only for our station, but the stations of our clients and the stations that we hope to provide uh, to those who want to start community-based Internet uh, radio with assistance from the Black Talk Media Project. So y'all just bear with us as we go through uh, these transitions. All right. So what's in my news feed? What's been in my news feed? And, again, I think we all see the same stories because they're coming from pretty much the same corporate news sources. So, anyway, tonight's topic from the news feed, I want to talk about Brittany Griner's arrest at a Russian airport on drug possession charges. Again, these are charges the authorities are alleging that she had drug possession. She didn't have like a brick of cocaine. She didn't even have a brick of cannabis, which could be seen as trafficking um, charges. But like it, it appears she had some um, uh, cannabis oils that you use in a vape pen. I guess that's what they call it. That's what they're doing now, vaping and uh, had these cannabis cartridges with liquid THC or or hashish oil, but it's cannabis-based. And it appears that she may allegedly have enough that could be constituted as personal use. Would that be a shock to anybody with cannabis being legal, Arizona, where I believe she plays uh, for the WNBA team, which uh, paid her less than what the uh, Russian professional team uh, was paying her. And no, it's not run by the government, but, you know, they have have Russian billionaires over there that own sports franchises, just like we have these here in the United States. They're all all oligarchs, but um, that Russian oligarch was paying more than the American oligarch of the WNBA franchise. And, you know, it has been a lot – uh, talk about how it's underpaid, how women are underpaid and not paid equal to men. But to me, that's kind of like a gray area issue. It's not so clear because you have to think about the entertainment market and, and what the consumers are consuming. And, you know, they're not getting a whole lot of eyeballs on whether it's television broadcast or cable on these WNBA uh, games. A lot of people, thousands of people, in fact, do go watch them play, but it is, you can't compare that kind of market. And so what they're basically asking for is something like what we see in college sports, which hopefully will change where you have like uh, sports like football and basketball, men's football and basketball, subsidizing all the other sports. And, you know, the issue of is this slavery has, has come up with student, quote-unquote, athletes being, being unable to um, profit from their name, their likeness, and their athletic ability. So people have introduced that into the conversation, and then others are talking about her um, – classification as a gay female. I think she would be classified as a quote-unquote lesbian uh, since she's married to another uh, woman, and both of these are, as far as I know, are classified as biological women from birth, 
um, and they identify as um, uh, biological women. So anyway, people have been talking about they might be a greater danger in Russia because Russia laws have a conservative view on the issue of sexuality, human sexuality. They have a conservative view. Again, like I stated at the beginning of the broadcast, we're talking about, quote, unquote, Christian nations. And and so a lot, it should be no surprise that millions of people hold these views. Um, y'all give me a second. As I've been cramped, trying to cramp, well, let me put it this way. My muscles been trying to cramp up on me. I don't know why I drink plenty of, of water, but it has been kind of hot today. And so that might be, you know, um, what's trying to cause them. So let me work this cramp out. Again, if you have any questions or comments as we get into uh, tonight's stories, you can give us a call at 626-213-5779. Um, and the backup switchboard number is 717-908-1834 with the participant code of 26926. And so, but so you have these different people who are propagandizing and tabling issues that's important to them, and these are valid issues. But there is also a a what I not a cynical view, but a sinister uh, attempt to use this black gay woman. A double minority, well, a triple minority, a triple minority here in the United States who suffers oppressive laws and particularly drug laws, okay? And that's what I'm looking at, that you're trying to use this as propaganda to bash another country when that's all we've talked about for years on this station, on this program, on other podcasts. As well, the, we're talking about a well-documented racist drug war. This was an issue with Joe Biden in the Democratic primaries, an issue that was being uh, brought up with him being the author of the Biden crime bill. And as others have pointed out, now he's, he's talking that same talk. He's talking that same talk, talking about getting tough on crime, talking about uh, confiscating guns, and when they talking about confiscating guns, they're talking about the hood. They're not talking about coming up in areas like where I live in rural North Carolina, South Carolina, let's just say the South, and take the guns out of the hands of these racist suspects and confirm white supremacists, neo-Nazis, Klan, neo-Confederates, take your pick. These are, this, I'm not breaking any news here. FBI has talked about their infiltration of law enforcement. So I want to look at it from the drug uh, possession. So to make it clear, I hope Brittany, uh, yeah, Brittany Griner is set free. And I hope that Russia will consider changing its oppressive right-wing drug laws and stop participating 
And, and I bet you they have been partnering with the United States Drug Enforcement Agency, which has partner countries all over the world. Now, so we'll, we'll play a clip. I got clips for, you know, these three topics, and you can weigh in on them. So let, let me move, move on because it's easy for me um, to just <laughs> go in, and I'm in, still in the introductory phase. All right, so unfortunately, we had some U.S. journalists shot in Ukraine, and one killed um, the one that survived, uh, which we have a clip of a brief interview. They, I mean, they ain't even they interviewed this guy, and he was laying on the gurney all calm and stuff. Looked like he had a gut shot, which I heard is a very, very painful. Um, shot. It looked like he had had a, a, a emergency uh, bandage on, like what we carried in our kits when I was in the army. You know, basic training. I forget the the name of it, but it, it's a bandage with you know long ends that you can just wrap around somebody with the cotton or the pad in the middle of it. That's what it looked like he had on his good. He could have been shot in the side as as well, um, but. Um, Man, he he talked about uh, what happened to him, and it's not what some news outlets, particularly <clears throat> left-leaning outlets, uh, so-called left-leaning, but they're really neoliberal outlets like MS, uh, NBC, uh, especially their cable channel network. They on, they're on YouTube. Very neoliberal. Uh, viewpoints being expressed by their performance artists because I refuse to call a person who just sits up and reads a script and then brings on people with prepared questions that's going to give answers that fit the narrative that you're trying to sell to the American public and, and in fact, fact the world. I'm not going to call you a journalist. I can get paid millions of dollars to do that. Anybody can read a script. It doesn't... It, you know, anybody can make facial expressions and laugh on cue and, and all of that type of stuff. And, man, I tell you, man, the state of journalism is just in bad shape. These aren't journalists. These are opinion hosts. Um, but anyway, this young man that got killed, unfortunately, it appears on the surface that he has a history of of recording and documenting the plight of refugees in South America. Um, where else did they say? China. Um, it, it was like five or six countries or more that they mentioned that he had with, you know, sometimes with his brother and documented the refugees that were being forced, being relocated um, because of war and conflict, violent conflict. And so that appears to be what him and his crew was attempting to do and when he when they were fired upon. And we're hearing some sources say they were fired upon by the Russian troops. But there's only one source, and it's an unconformed source, and we'll get to that when I play this clip from uh, Courtesy of Democracy Now!, which is playing the clip of the European journalist that was interviewing this guy while he was on the gurney, man. They was about to take him into, I, I presume, 
the operating room, I hope, and take this bullet out of out of him or the shrapnel or whatever he was hit with. But he gave a quick, what, about 30-second, 45-second interview. He asked some questions. He answered several questions. And it was actually a, a good questions to ask that you would expect from a professional journalist. Get to the who, what, when, where, and why. She did an excellent job in that 35, 45 seconds, but <laughs> I don't know if I'd have had the heart to ask somebody that's been shot laying on a gurney. I guess they knew that his his wounds weren't life-threatening. I assume. I don't know. So we'll talk about that story. Very unfortunate story. This, this um, young man, um, well, I shouldn't say young man. He's about 50, so I'm just five years older than him. So, But, I mean, we wouldn't say we're old. But I think he's only about 50 years old, but he got his start. And this is why I support public, um, public radio or public media. And I believe that the government should fund grants to organizations that, that um, teach journalism, not propaganda, not to be the arm of the U.S. State Department or the intelligence services like, like the CIA, but to be truthful, objective journalists, able to see things from both sides or to seek information from both sides and then weigh the balance, weigh the arguments. That's what what a judge does. That's what a judge is supposed to do, right? Be unbiased. And so we're told those qualities are supposed to also exist in journalists, but that has not been the case. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, this goes back to Operation Mockingbird, but even before then, um, you had you had the United States Intelligence Services and State Department um, doing radio broadcasts in Europe. Set up radio uh, uh, networks there. And when I was in the military, they have a global, um, I forget the name of it, but it's Armed Services or Armed Forces Network. They carried the Super Bowl on. I watched the Super Bowl while I was um, in, on a military, on a U.S. base um, that was set up, you know, when we went over there at the kickoff of the, of the Gulf War. Actually didn't have it too bad. These were abandoned um, high-rise apartments and townhomes with marble floors on the inside. And I'm like, wow. And nobody and, and people don't want to move into them because they rather live that Bedouin lifestyle. That's the story we were told that the king wanted them to, um, you know, become more Martin modern and move on to these into these these nice luxurious homes that would probably cost you about a half a million here in the United States or more probably million dollars per townhome with marble floors. Come on. Had rooftop terraces. That's what I was living in. And um, a lot of people didn't have it quite so well. But it, anyway, let me not get off on a tangent. So, But, you know, the biggest takeaway from war is, man, you can be killed 
at any time. And you may be forced to kill somebody. And he lost his life getting started in public, public uh, at the Washington, D.C. public access television station, the same place where Democracy Now! Um, started in the same building, and he worked his way up to become, I, I suppose, um, suppose an independent filmmaker who won the Peabody Award, again, documenting the treks of refugees from war-torn uh, countries all around around the world. So um, certainly condolences uh, to, his, to his family, but Again, we must ask the important question that the journalists ask the guy, the who, what, when, and why. And lastly, lastly, I got a clip for you from the African, the independent um, uh, uh, people-powered network, the African Diaspora News Channel, which you can find on YouTube. I forget Philip's last name, but um, he's like the founder of that channel. And um, he has a, a, a report out, and he's saying that the Biden administration is sending veiled threats to South Africa for its neutral position on the use of force in Ukraine, according to, again, the African Diaspora News Channel, which is on YouTube. So that's what's up for, for tonight. You can call in with your questions and brief comments at the numbers listed on this page. And let me just say it out loud, the telephone number is 626-213-5779. Um, the other telephone number, let me take a look at it, is 717-908-1834, and the participant code is 269 Six. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. Of course, my name is Scotty Reed, and I am behind the neo-Confederate, neo-Nazi, the umbrella of white supremacy. The U.S. government has taken the official position on the international stage through its U.N. resolution votes against resolutions to condemn of uh, uh, neo-Nazism, which is, again, just another word for white supremacy, giving it protected status, saying that the Constitution protects this sort of hateful rhetoric. The symbols, the statutes, there are, there are over 1,500 neo-Confederate statutes they're still standing in the United States, and they all ain't in the South either. Blatant promotion of racism and white supremacy. And that's protected speech under the U.S. Constitution. This is what the U.S. government has confirmed. Now, before somebody else accuses me of being a Putin puppet, then you really haven't been listening to me for the past, what, 13 years and know that I am an in a, a independent-minded person who votes, okay? And um, I'm not a partisan person. Whether we're talking about Republicans, Democrats, uh, Green Party, Conservative Party, Libertarian Party here in the United States, and I'm not a nationalist, not a U.S. 
nationalist. And I also uh, don't think that other people and other nations should participate in nationalism, particularly nationalism based on race. Because your national origins refer to a geographical area. Geographical areas are used in the pseudo-scientific classifications that white supremacists came up with that they call race. From my studies, it it traces to um, a French king who was beheaded during the French Revolution. But he came up with the code of NOR, the black codes, before the U.S. colonies adopted their own black codes codes that regulated African-descendant people and anybody that was highly melanated but definitely considered and classified as non-white as being able to be legally captured, bought, sold, and enslaved for another uh, person's profit. So, but um, it's just crazy that the Biden administration, let me, let me say this before I play these clips. If you knew that the Obama administration, or you can say the Obama-Biden administration with him as vice president, running point on U.S. relations in Ukraine during that administration, and that he was collaborating with with a government that had neo-Nazis in it, and if they want to claim they weren't neo-Nazis, they collaborated with them. They had no objections to them being part of the government nor the U.S. military. This is, um, excuse me, the Ukrainian military. This is all documented. This is documented in Western news sources going back years, going back years. For whatever reason, the algorithm on YouTube today, as I was seeking, you know, clips to to talk about for tonight's topics or related to tonight's topics, my algorithm on YouTube was feeding me all of these YouTube videos from Democracy Now!, The Times, just Western news sources documenting the neo-Nazis in power in the Ukraine after the 2014 coup. Even if they didn't tell you about their role in the 2014 coup, they told you about the rise of them or, or the increase in their power. The Jerusalem Post did a video on YouTube about this. And the rank anti-Semitism to go along with their apparent anti-blackness in their treatment of the African students. So let me say this again before I get accused of being a Putin puppet. Then you haven't listened to me for the past 13 years. And then 
I also look at living in the United States under its jurisdiction as a person who votes, who does participate in politics. I don't sit out unless I'm withholding my vote strategically by giving it to a third-party candidate. But as a person who lives here, whose lineage goes all the way back to the pre-revolutionary colonial period here in North Carolina, I can trace my, you know, lineage to American so-called revolutionaries. And then... I compare it to this character. I think he was played by Orlando Bloom in the film or the movie um, Kingdom of Heaven. And he inherited some land from his his lineage, just like my grandfather passed land down to his children. That that um, my grandmother, it was in her family that was given to them and just passed down from generation to generation, going all the way back to the colonial period in this area of North North Carolina. So, like, this guy in this film inherits the land, and then he goes about improving that land, digging the irrigations, because it's back in the doing when they were doing the crusades. It's set back in that time period, although that's different centuries you had the crusades. But anyway, in the Middle East. And he inherited his father's estate who gets killed. And he goes to this new land he ain't never seen before, leaving his European roots. And then he's, you know, he's improving it. And then somebody's asking him why he's putting so much energy. And he was like, what kind of man would I be if I did not seek to improve my land? That's how I look at the United States in political terms, in terms of human rights, in terms of civil rights, in terms of what's, quote, unquote, constitutional rights. That is why I will always be the biggest critic of where I live, the biggest critic. What kind of man would I be if I did not see to improve the land on which I live. So y'all can miss me with all of that um, petty talking points from the MSM, mainstream media. So let's jump into these first clips as we uh, first take a station identification break. Again, you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Gentlemen, what brings me to my next point? Don't smoke crack. That's right. Don't smoke crack. Don't smoke that mainstream media crack pipe that they're giving you to suck up all of this bias, unobjective lying media content. Don't smoke them rocks. Don't do it. Don't do it. And also, make yourself devoid 
of emotional attachments because they, they, you're not able to critically think about anything if you allow yourself to be ruled by emotions and these supposed allegiances to governments that you know is oppressing people because they're oppressing you, especially if you're among the minorities like a Brittany Griner. Let's go ahead and roll that clip. Tonight we are following a developing story involving Phoenix Mercury's Brittany Griner and her arrest in Russia. We have full team coverage tonight with a breakdown of what happened, the consequences she's facing, and the incoming reaction going into our newsroom right now. Let's get right over to ABC 15's sports anchor Colin Harmon. Colin, you're tracking the latest. What's, what's going on? Christine, like many WNBA players, Brittany Griner plays overseas during the offseason here. And since 2014, she has played for the same team in Russia. And according to a report from the New York Times, Griner was detained by Russian customs officials at a Moscow airport after they allegedly found hashish oil in her luggage. And, quote, a criminal case has been opened into the large-scale transportation of drugs, which can carry a sentence of up to 10 years behind bars in Russia. The report wasn't specific as to when Griner was detained, only saying in February. But fellow WNBA player Angel McCoftree said on Instagram it was three weeks ago. In a statement, the Mercury say they are aware and monitoring the situation and that their main concern is her safe return home. The WNBA echoing the same message and the Arizona Dispensaries Association weighing in tonight on the consequences linked to weed, writing that no one should be afraid to travel as a cannabis consumer. Now, a WNBA spokesperson said that other than Griner, all WNBA players who compete in Russia or Ukraine are now out of those countries. Christine? All right, Colin, thank you. We do know that Griner is facing some serious charges, and her arrest comes at a time when U.S. and Russia relations are hostile. ABC 15's Patrick Hayes talking to fans and experts learning what could be next for the WNBA All-Star and Olympian. Phoenix Mercury player Brittany Griner reportedly facing up to 10 years behind bars after Russian authorities allegedly caught her traveling with cannabis oil and vape cartridges. My feelings and thoughts were, oh my gosh, come on now, that seems overboard and are you using her as a pawn because of what's going on in a global war? What's really happening? Quentin Lewis and his wife, Rebecca, are sports fans worried for Griner. I was and still am just in fear of her safety. Well, obviously, it's very concerning. Victor Peskin is a professor at Arizona State's School of Politics and Global Studies. He says America may have a harder time getting Griner back given the current situation in Ukraine. But certainly now, um, you know, we are at the most tense time in, in uh uh, American-Russian relations, some say since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Benjamin Taylor is a local attorney that says even though cannabis is legal in Arizona, taking it through an airport is not. She could be facing prison time if she... Even so, the potential penalties could be less if the arrest would have happened in the state. Even though it's illegal federally, the prosecutor who's prosecuting you could give you a plea deal or even dismiss the case because of the state 
laws making it legal versus the federal laws making it illegal. Fans we spoke to are hoping the U.S. intervenes. We asked the State Department if they plan on helping Griner. A spokesperson sent us this statement, which says, We are aware of reports of a U.S. citizen arrested in Moscow. Whenever a U.S. citizen is arrested overseas, we stand ready to provide all appropriate consular services. In Phoenix, Patrick Hayes, ABC 15, Arizona. All right, so that was a local Arizona affiliate, and that was their report, and it was pretty much straightforward. Now, I think that was actually news. That's news. Again, yeah, these people are reading teleprompters, but the news is pretty much factual. Factual. I don't think any of the points that they made or any of the facts that they stated is in dispute. Brittany Griner was arrested by U.S. custom officials at a Moscow airport because she had cannabis oils in her luggage, allegedly. Okay? So I don't think, though, that I thought that was an excellent example of a straight news report. That's usually what you get from your, like, your 530, 5 o'clock, your local affiliate news, not your national corporate networks, even though they're part of, of, of these networks or corporations, but something about the 6 o'clock local news where it's, ba- it's really straightforward news. Do they get people's opinions? Yes, they do. Like they ask those individuals that were featured in that newscast. A couple of points I would like to make. And again, if you got any points you want to make on this story, you're more than welcome uh, to give us a call at 626-213-5779 or the alternative number, which is listed on the page. Um, so she was, in fact, arrested by custom officials. This was three weeks ago. This actually was before, maybe cutting it close to just a couple of days before Russia invaded Ukraine. We're not going to debate the reasonings behind why the president and the other uh, uh, people in positions of power in Russia um, decided to invade Ukraine. That's not what, what we're talking about. All right. She was arrested before this popped off. And some news, excuse me, some pseudo news reports, social media posts was acting or giving the impression that she was she was taken hostage. She was basically kidnapped by Putin to use as a bargaining chip, which I, I found that to be absurd. I found it to be absurd. And they were making it seem like she just disappeared for three weeks. Nobody knew where she was. That's how some of the news reports were, were portraying it, quote-unquote news reports. And these performance artists on these opinionated uh, corporate news channels, they, uh, they were making it look like Putin had, had disappeared, this woman. She was gone for three weeks, and we didn't know until a local Russian a news outlet, localized Russian news outlet in Russia, obviously, 
did a story where they had her mug shot and, and announced, you know, nobody knew it. No, that that's not true. You think her wife didn't know she wasn't arrested. The consulate, UN, U.S. counsel through the State Department knew. You think they didn't, they didn't contact? You think the billionaires who own her contract didn't contact anyone? So... I'm not buying it. They just didn't leak it. They knew. They just didn't leak it to American press. Or the American press didn't see a need to really focus in on the story until until they could use it for this conflict. Because at any other time, a triple minority such as Brittany Griner, a black woman, who is gay in a lesbian relationship, legally married in a state, in the United States, as if she wouldn't be, those things don't work against her here in the United States. Like, it puts her at special risk. And I'm not saying that's what the the black lady, they, they asked the question who was saying, you know, and they parsed her comments, of course. Um, but I fear for her safety. And I can imagine anybody would, any family member. It would be stupid not to. But it would also be stupid not to recognize that people die in law enforcement custody, whether we're talking about jails, whether we're talking about prisons, whether we're talking about sheriff deputies, whether we're talking about police, members of police departments, where we're talking about um, uh, federal officers, U.S. marshals, they kill people. DEA agents, narcotics agents on the local level, they kill people. And I believe this person has their hand raised, and, and I'll get your comment. Let me make this quick point. Um, as I said to, well, I was reading, this was for, on social media, was CNN had done an article about it. And a person, person uh, comment I read was a person saying he was a journalist. It was a non-white, non-white male was saying he was a journalist. And then he started talking about the harsh drug laws here in the United States and how much time she would be facing here and the dangers she would be facing here. And then this person who appeared to be a black female, at least her you know, little photo icon was a black female, and she was like accusing him of being a Putin propagandist and what have you. And I'm like, come on, sister. Well, I ain't call her sister. I don't be talking to people like that unless I know them. You know what I'm saying? And I'm cool with them, but I just don't call random black people on the Internet or on the street, sister and brother. But anyway, I said, come on now. Like, there hasn't been an almost 50-year drug war here in the United States, which many people I would agree with who say that it targets 
non-white people, specifically black people and Latinos or Hispanics, however they identify, Spanish speakers, non-white, Chicanos, Mexicans, and that you have been profiting through their enslavement on prison populations, I mean prison plantations. Again, if you need to be educated on how slavery was never abolished in the United States and how an uh, exception was carved out for it in the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, then go listen to the podcast, New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. But I told, I was like, come on, I just read about they had a national balloon release for Breonna Taylor, who was gunned down while in her bedroom by cops who kicked in the door, armed, and they shot her looking looking for drugs. Got a no-knock warrant looking for drugs and or money. Because the allegation was, which was proven to be false, was that she was laundering the drug money and was receiving the drug in packages that that an ex-boyfriend, if I'm not mistaken, an ex-boyfriend uh, or a friend who had it had packages delivered to her to her home. It's a lot of how what they call houseless people who ask people to do that for them to order stuff on the internet. Mickey the farmer, the 80-something-year-old white man who, farmer who lived across the street, who we were neighborly with, <laughs> you know, that, that just re, just reminds me of things that, that he says. But let me go ahead and take this call. This person been hanging on long enough. Um, unknown caller, uh, you're on Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. What's your name? And go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, my dear friend. This is Brother Mike from Singapore. How are you? Greetings to you, Brother Mike from Singapore. I'm doing the best I can behind these enemy lines. I call USA Inc. <laughs> so that's the best. Yes. I'm doing better than a lot of other people, but, you know, I try not to focus too much on my own circumstances because there's so much worse going on for people in the world. But what's on your mind tonight? Yes, brother. You know, uh, as long as humanity, uh, you see, in World War One, you know, God shook the planet with one hand, and we did not get the lesson of World War One. Then, World War Two, God shook the planet by, again, by one hand only. We saw how much more. Uh, people died from the World War One to World War Two. Now World War Three, everybody talk about it. The heads of the state every day they say World War Three, NATO World War Three, Russia they talk about World War Three. But this time the God is going to shake the planet by its two hands right now, and as a result, you know, is a uh, you know, if we would learn from the World War II, 
from up to now, we would have a, you know, better luck, better understanding of each others, and the people mm-hmm. would come as the one race. There is only one human race in that. There is not the white race, Chinese race, or et cetera, et cetera. We are one right. humanity bonded together. And mm-hmm. prejudices that we witness today, like uh, the, in the Russia, you know, they uh, uh, put uh, one of our uh, athletes, uh, you know, basketball, I believe, uh, into the arrest because of a little bit of, you know, marijuana or uh, uh, some kind of uh, in narcotics. You know, this is prejudice. It, it, oh, it uh, was, uh, Mike, let me, let me interject. Um, her name is Brittany Griner. She was a w, she is a WNBA player under contract as well as playing in the Russian league, playing for a Russian team and has been doing so for a number of years. She allegedly has some some vape cartridges that had cannabis oil, something that is legal in the state of Arizona, but not legal in other states. So, so you know, the news that she got arrested does not surprise me. We hear about other celebrities getting arrested. You know, it was a rapper who was traveling with I think his name was ASAP Rocky. I'm not sure was traveling with James Harden, an NBA player in France, and police smelled marijuana in the car, and one of them got arrested for possession. So, so drug possession charges are are something that a lot of nations, unfortunately, have in common. And if she had come here to had been stopped by U.S. Customs coming into even the Arizona airport, um, she would have been subject to federal uh, cannabis uh, laws. So, you know, um, I just refuse to let that be the dominant issue um, or her being used as a propaganda tool and, and call on not only Russia, but the United States and any other. You look at the Philippines, you know, I, you were in Singapore. I don't know how, how much news, you know, you get from where you are on what's been going on in the Philippines with Duarte's drug lore where they are shooting people, accused of smoking weed, dead in the streets, accused of smoking or selling. So this is, this is a scourge all over the planet and not something unique or to be used as propaganda against Putin, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and in Singapore, the laws are very identical to Philippines and many other parts of the world. I mean, if we go out and we come back, it's better, you know, the dogs at the US, at the Singapore custom, uh, they do not smell anything. And if they bark at you, oh, my gosh. You are mm-hmm. subject to head to the toes check-in, and it's better you don't find they don't find anything because if they find even one gram, which is very minimal, I mean, of any substances, you know, you will get jail time and mm-hmm. slashes. I mean, it's a mess. I mean, that's why in Singapore, even if we we put, I mean. Uh, you know, in Saudi Arabia, Mike, you know, in Saudi Arabia, 
uh, since we're talking about Asia and it's, it's classified as being part of Southwest Asia, but in Saudi Arabia, they just had the most mass executions in their history in a 24-hour period. Um, I think it was something like 80-something people that they put to death. 81. And I was stationed in in the United, in Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War. And some of those U.S. soldiers would talk about, hey, let's go to the square. I heard some of them, you know, invite people to go to the square and watch them behead people. And, you know, me and my friends was like, that's not something that we want to go see. We don't think that's entertaining at all. Um, but they put people to death for drug possession. What she got caught with, she would be facing a death sentence in Saudi Arabia, a so-called U.S. ally. Absolutely. Also, Iran, same situation. They executed people with the name of, you know, in Iran, it's a different case, you know, because, uh, you know, they give a slander on the prisoners and then, you know, and uh, really there is no involvement of uh, hashish or teriyak or narcotic or any other things. Uh, they were not because their crime was talking uh, just for freedom and democracy in Iran. So mm-hmm. uh, in Iran, of course, same in Saudi Arabia, are... same, same in Saudi Arabia, which is a yes. monarch. They don't have democracy. Yes. Right. <laughs> And, and most of them, you know, probably is they are very spoken against uh, the, you know, the mm-hmm. sheikh uh, in charge. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I forgot his name right now uh, because uh, I guess I don't like him. <laughs> so, you know, so, uh, that's why they uh, did 81 people. But they charged them, you know, they put the charges, but you are not guilty. You are, haven't done anything. You may done, you know, spoken against policies or mm-hmm. for freedom and democracy, for example, in Saudi right. Arabia. Then they say, oh, 81 uh, people, uh, you know, all of these are, how can be 81 of them to be charged in the same manner? At least right. one of them, one or two or ten, should be charged differently, but they're not. They say all all of these people are, for for example, committed adultery. Okay, in order for them to commit adultery, you need the three witnesses. Do you have the, those three witnesses? Well, well, well they also slap terrorism charges. They also mention right. terrorism in um, one of the reports that I saw, which is something that the United States government, especially after 2001, uh, the 9-11 attacks that the Bush administration used to put forth um, with Congress draconian um, laws, you know, uh, that allow them to label anyone a terrorist or enemy combatant and and deny them due process. I mean, Guantanamo Bay is still open. So, again, it's not that I'm a quote-unquote U.S. critic, but I'm his biggest critic because I live here and I want to see my land, the land that I live in, ruled more or or um, not ruled, but practice the society, practice justice, true justice. Uh, yes, uh, uh, indeed. You know, then uh, you know, in Singapore, we put hundred dollars, Singaporean dollars, you know, into the street. Nobody look at it because they know it's uh, set up because they know that uh, police. 
maybe uh, through the uh, CCTVs and etc. I mean, we, we don't even go pick it up because by picking it up, you made a crime. You see, right. even your intentions are positive. Your intentions are positive to give it to the police or, uh, or you know, uh, you have to find the police. The police say, Why, what the hell you touch it for? Also, you want to uh, take a $100 Singaporean dollar? You see what I'm saying? So, again, yeah. we come back to uh, the train in Singapore. It's the cleanest city in the world. Um, less crime as possible in the world because, you know, they know if you may you do any kind of crime or something, you know. They are, well, like you're talking yeah. about a surveillance state. Like you have no privacy, you know, that you're constantly under under surveillance, which is, again, that's true in different places in the United States. Okay. Not all of the United States, but in, if you live in certain areas, particularly uh, in cities, metropolitan areas, you're under constant surveillance as well. Same as in London, the U.K., different cities. But, Mike, I got to move on, man. Thanks for call, for chiming in, man, and I hope, you know, that you'll uh, continue to tune in to our broadcast. Uh, repeat again. Sorry, I, I lost you for a second. Oh, I was just thanking you for your call and saying that I oh, hope. Thank you. Yeah, hope God, that God you'll tune you. in to future broadcasts. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you very much, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye. All right, so that was Mike calling in, international caller, calling in from um, Singapore. Singapore. All right, so again, to just close out this on Brittany Griner. No, you don't get to use her for your pro-war propaganda and the demonization of Russians, uh, Russophobia, I think is the name, the term for it is very xenophobic. Uh, xenophobia is rooted in racism. Um, no, you don't get to use her as that towards that nation's unjust law, unjust drug, oppressive drug laws. But you don't get to, you don't, there's no more high ground for you to take. Because if she was busted by U.S. Customs, then what would, would you be saying? They were saying that the U.S. is softer on crime? Uh, Depends on the jurisdiction, depends on the judge, depends on the prosecutor or the district attorney. It depends on the state laws. It depends on so much. So to say that they soft on crime, there's too many variables. You know, the guy was seeing in the clip, it's, it's up to a judge's discretion. And yes, they have first-time offender, um, what they call diversionary programs, um, that she might would qualify for depending upon the amount that she had, the contraband that she had. So, you know, these, again, are are laws that we need to get rid of right here in the United States before we allow the U.S. State Department or U.S. corporate media to be wagging its finger at anybody else on the planet, okay? Again, the, glo- the, the U.S. drug war is global. That's why there are so many deaths in Mexico. That's why there are so many drug-related deaths in Guatemala. That's, again, this is U.S. drug policy that they have, have uh, used their influence in their, in their bribes to keep products like cannabis illegal 
in these various countries. And the tide is is changing. That's true. But it's not changing fast enough. These All these laws need to be abolished. The United Nations should pass a law against uh, criminalizing the use of plants. They haven't been processed. They, it's not like you took some, some cocoa, some, uh, you know, again, the paste or whatever that they make from the cocoa plant. Not the chocolate <laughs> cocoa, but the the coke plants. As you can tell, I'm not an expert on on making cocaine and mixing up. You know, I'm not a chemist in that regard. Then cook it up in the crack crack. No, I'm talking about something that grow in your. It will grow in a flower pot that God put on this earth that mankind has used. For centuries upon centuries to centuries, and you criminalizing a lot of people up. No, you don't get to use her uh, for that kind of propaganda. And again, with her being gay, being black, and being a woman, she would be in danger in U.S. prisons where women get raped all the time, get abused all the time, coerced into sex get beat up, hog-tied, and I'm not exaggerating. Do your research. These reports been coming out for years. Again, check out New Abolitionist Radio, the podcast. In those years and years going back, starting in 2013, about these stories in, you, in these deaths and other human rights abuses in U.S. prisons. So, Man, if I know if my one of my daughters got locked up on a DUI or whatever charge, and they had to spend the weekend in jail, I would be concerned for their safety. And don't tell me you wouldn't. All right, so you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. We got about 50 minutes left in this broadcast on uh, what's today's date, March 14th, 2022. You can call us at 626-213-5779, 626-213-5779. Or you can give us a call on our backup studio line, which is 717-908-1834. And the participant code is 2696. Two, six. So, talk about. Let's take a break. Let's take us another station identification break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about these U.S. journalists being um, shot and one confirmed killed in the Ukraine. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Providing new black media for the masses. 
You can't do it. Because it's a, doc, a well-documented uh, fact. So when we're talking about war crimes, again, because I want to see a U.S. government that's truly representative of the people and not an oligarchy where a few people give the uh, who have the power who give the illusion of democracy while billionaires pick our representatives. I'm not saying every last single one of them is bought and paid for, but it, it it's no point of contention among most voters that politicians are bought and paid for. So on the issue of these journalists, uh, being killed is being called also some are hinting that this is a war crime that they were intentionally killed by russians so then me with no competing narrative or information i was like why would russian troops you know i'm thinking again of myself as a regular non-commissioned officer in the u.s army during the gulf war in the situations that I had where I had to interact with members of a hostile or a civilian population with hostile elements in it towards me and U.S. soldiers being on that soil, period. Man, you talk about having to make split-second decisions. So I'm asking why would I'm a regular soldier. Why would I just open up on a car? of civilians and then the answer came to me from the u from the western based news headlines president Zelensky is calling for you uh ukrainian citizens to make molotov cocktails to fashion weapons out of sticks pick up stones and fight the russians this is in numerous U.S.-based media uh, headlines. This has been reported. Then you had the Ukrainian Defense Ministry make a public announcement that all Ukrainian males ages 16 to 60 years old were forbidden from leaving the country and we're going to be pressed into combat service. Whether that it was making Molotov cocktails or or doing whatever, providing whatever labor they needed for their military defenses. These were public announcements. So I'm not an expert on international law, but I imagine that it seems like I've not imagined, but it seems like I read somewhere that forcing civilians into military service is a crime, international war crime. So I guess they're going to say, well, this was an emergency draft. We need the bodies. With the United States Armed Services being decimated by
by decades and decades and decades of war, all of that trauma don't think that they won't do a mandatory draft as if if World War Three presented itself. They're going to need you to storm the beaches of the Black Sea, just like they stormed the beaches of Normandy and were shot up to pieces. Necessary sacrifices, right? Acceptable sacrifices. You know they calculate how many of those men, peasants, basically, we like to call them the working poor, the middle class or whatnot, but they, they, they just ran them boys into machine guns, just threw them at it, at the Germans, fortified position on, on the beaches. Well, talking about casualties, what kind of casualties do you think we will have today trying to launch an assault on Russia? one of the largest countries geographically in the world. And they know that land better than you know it, than I know it. So with the president making his little tough guy statements, Zelensky, grandmothers will be stopping tanks with Molotov cocktails. Look at their bravery and their courage. Really, do You're putting a target on their backs. You're announcing to the world and specifically announcing to Russia that our civilians are legitimate military targets because we're using them in the war effort. They're going to be bombing you with Molotov cocktails. We're going to be giving them all of this U.S. Uh, uh, weaponry, tons and tons and tons that we're going to be arming, and yeah, they're going to be killing, killing Russian soldiers. Use again. I just read a meme today that said that common sense was common. Everybody would have it. Play on words there, but I get the gist. Think logically and unemotionally. So with all of this being stated publicly from a, from a Russian soldier and somehow I got access to the Internet, now I see that Zelensky saying these civilians going to be making Molotov cocktails. Oh, man, I'm thinking like how in my mindset. I'm putting myself in his shoes. I might think. Man, I really don't want to shoot these civilians. I don't want to kill these civilians. Their president is forcing this 60-year-old man out here to try to hit me with a Molotov cocktail, or they're trying to force this 16-year-old teenager to shoot me dead in the street. They don't got on uniform, so, you know, I, I feel some kind of way about it. That's a, why do you think U.S. soldiers have so much PTSD? It ain't from killing the enemy. It's from killing civilians and witnessing all of that carnage. Real talk. Real talk. So 
That's what I came up with. That's the only logical scenario where I could see a soldier being justified on firing on civilian, on a civilian vehicle. Because you ain't see really what they got on inside a vehicle. Come on. Especially they got all this equipment. That, 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 that camera might even look like a weapon. You know what I'm saying? We don't know. This big chunk, chunk of thing this guy got in his car, he, he might be have some uh, air, you know, surface-to-air missiles or something. That might be a SAM. You never know what's going through your mind. I've been placed in that situation in, in the Gulf War riding the highways, the desert highways of Saudi Arabia late at night because I worked from 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. was my shift, and me and this this sergeant uh, have to go check on some of the communication outposts, check on the people at the outposts, just, you know, riding around to see what, what was up with them, they needed anything, make sure they were safe. And, yeah, we could do it through the radio, but, again, you want to have eyeballs on people. But uh, we were being followed very closely for many, many miles by a Saudi Arabian police car, or I should say a Riyadh police car from Riyadh because we were on the outskirts. And me knowing that these people don't like me, the looks I was getting at when me and this female soldier, U.S. soldier, town, not knowing, to Riyadh, went into Wendy's hamburger joint in Riyadh and didn't realize they had, had segregated seating for males and females. I wasn't giving no crash course on Saudi Arabian society. I had no, I thought segregation was a thing of the past or, or something, you know, something that we had dealt, uh, the, the civilized, so-called civilized world had dealt with. But here, here we are in Saudi Arabia. I'm sitting um, right across in a booth, right across from the female soldier I was accompanying because they couldn't go by themselves. And she asked me to go because um, she wanted to pick up some things and see the city. And so I said, yeah, I'll be your escort. So I'm down there in the section, the lower section, and I noticed all these females and some of these Saudi females laughing at me. But the males that was up top that was sitting down staring at me with, with, with daggers of death in their eyes, then knowing that news reports that there were um, a number of Saudi Arabians who didn't like our presence, a number of Muslims, period, who didn't like our presence on their quote-unquote Holy Land, U.S. troops being stayed. That was a whole big thing. There was actually, I believe, some barracks that was attacked and, and blew up. So all of that, these are the things. that This is where my mind was going until I heard the Democracy Now! report and heard the words out of the mouth of one of the journalists who had been shot, as I discussed, at the opening of the broadcast. This is that clip. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. 
On Sunday, the award-winning U.S. journalist Brent Renault died after being shot and killed near a Ukrainian checkpoint in the city of Irpin. That's just outside the capital, Kiev, where there's been heavy fighting as Russian troops advance on the capital. Ukrainian officials accused Russian forces of killing Brent, though Agence France Presse reports the exact circumstances are unclear. The Peabody award-winning filmmaker was 50 years old. At the time of his death, he was with photographer Juan Arredondo, who was wounded in the attack. Arredondo briefly spoke to an Italian reporter from the hospital before he was taken into surgery. Tell me, please, what is your name? Juan. Juan? Juan. Where are you from? Uh, the U.S. Yeah. What happened to you? Uh, we were, we crossed one of the first bridge in Nirping. We were going to film other refugees leaving. Mm -hmm. And we got onto a car. Somebody offered to take us to the other bridge. Uh, and we crossed the checkpoint and they started shooting at us. Um, so the driver turned around and they kept shooting. It's two of us, my friends friend Renault and he's been shot and left behind. And how is he? I don't know. You don't, I don't know. know. You don't know what happened to him? He was, I, I saw him being shot in the neck and we got split and I got pulled onto the... Uh, and who brought you here? Uh, an ambulance, I don't know. Okay, um, so Although that was a very short clip, and I hope y'all can hear it clearly, um, the journalist obviously had had a, a accent, and sometimes, you know, uh, some people in the United States uh, have trouble understanding them. But I understood it, and plus I saw the video, so I hope that audio, that clip that I made wasn't inaudible for you, and you were able to hear it clearly. So, again, she asked, though, though what happened to you? Where did this happen to you? Why did this happen to you? The what, when, where, and why, you know? So the most important thing, because the narrative before was Russians did it. And as you heard Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! say, you know, mentioned that the Ukrainians said the Russians did it. But the outlet or journalist organization that had more information than anybody or, or had someone in the area said that that's in question, what they're saying that the Russians um, did it. Nobody can independently confirm this story by, quote, unquote, Ukrainians. We don't know if it's Ukrainian. Uh, it has to start with the Ukrainian shooters. The border guards, the people who were manning this checkpoint were Ukrainians. That's what she said. This were a Ukrainian checkpoint. This wasn't a Russian checkpoint. This was a Ukrainian checkpoint. So how did the Russians shoot them? And only those U.S. journalists. Why weren't any of the uh, Ukrainian guards at the checkpoint shot? Okay, why, why weren't they shot? So all of this is not clear. There's, even from what we know, from what this guy is saying, it's still, we don't have all the details, but it was still a good interview because she was like, what were you doing? 
And he said they were out there filming refugees, getting footage of the refugees who, who in Kiev in the surrounding areas trying to get out an active war zone. And Ukraine has, and I imagine on the, on the side that Russia controls as well, and I should point out, people, it's been an eight-year Ukrainian civil war. Eight years there's been a civil war. This, isn't, this didn't start as Ukraine versus Russia. Ukraine is a large place. And now it's described as, in terms of this conflict, in Western Ukraine and Eastern Ukraine. You have a certain ethnic group of people who live in the West. You have a, 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 a majority population of a certain ethnic people who live in the East and in the South, who identify as Russian, who speak Russian as an ethnicity, Okay. With they identify with the Rus heritage and what have you. So again, you know, this guy says, well, 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 we were going, we were filming these refugees and and we were with it on this one bridge, but we wanted to go across another bridge and somebody, and he didn't say this wasn't his exact words, I'm paraphrasing. Somebody we didn't know offered us a ride. And we got in the car with this somebody we didn't know. And he said he would drive or she uh, offered to drive us across the second bridge. And we wanted to go to that side and get some footage of some refugees, Ukrainian refugees. We drive through. The checkpoint, the Ukrainian checkpoint, he didn't say Ukrainian checkpoint, but that's not in dispute. That's what the checkpoint, Amy Goodman said who was manning it. This wasn't a Russian checkpoint. It's a Ukrainian refugee checkpoint. You know, got to separate the Africans from from the, okay, I'm, but y'all, y'all heard that, the story, right? The African students being separated and the Indian students the melanated students being separated from the white Ukrainians. But any, anyway, I digress. He says that they go through the Ukrainian checkpoint and they open fire. So the driver turns around. Now, this is what's kind of confusing. It may make sense that when I envision that scenario in my imagination, I'm approaching the checkpoint. They open fire on me. Again, we're talking about Ukrainian checkpoint. They open fire on me, so I turn around and go back the other way. What don't make sense would, would be I went through the checkpoint. They open fire. Then I turn back around and go through the checkpoint again and give them a chance to open fire. So, again, this guy... It's traumatized, even though when you look at the video, he's all cool and calm um, and what have you. He must have a high pain tolerance, but I don't know the nature of his wounds. He could just be cut with glass or something. But the report said he was shot. So anyway, that don't make sense for you to go through that. You would, in, 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 
in fact, be going through the checkpoint twice. And I don't think any person in their mind, right mind, unless they panic and got all discombobulated, would go through a checkpoint, get shot at from behind, obviously, or presumably, because you've gone through the checkpoint, I get shot at, the car gets hit, passengers get hit, and I'm going to turn back around and come back through the checkpoint to get shot at again. No, that, that don't make sense. That don't make sense. And these are details we just simply don't have and may not have. Because they, hey, this guy could die in surgery, or at least that's the story we could might be told. Because he, they don't, somebody don't want him saying, giving more detail on what these Ukrainian guards did to him. And given what we've all seen about the guns being pulled on African students at checkpoints, it stands to reason especially with one of these U.S. journalists being non-white, that it's quite possible some Ukrainian neo-Nazis was manning that checkpoint and opened fire on this dude. I mean, on this U.S. film crew. We, we, we don't know. There's so many unknowns. But what is known is the Russians didn't shoot them. by this surviving victim's own testimony. We went through a Ukrainian checkpoint, and they shot us. And, I, you know, I didn't know Brent was dead, but I saw him get shot in the neck. That's, that's what he said. So I'm sure his family is feeling his loss. I'm sure the communities that he served are feeling his loss. But it would be disgusting to use him like they're trying to use uh, Brittany Griner as some kind of propaganda for pro-war against Russia, which obviously would turn into World War III, or as Dave Attando would say, uh, Global Nuclear War uh, I. Global War I. Because nukes are on the table and always have been. The last thing that I want to hit you off with before I close out um, is this Biden administration sending these veiled threats to South Africa for its neutral position on the use of force in the Ukraine. And you know, I take the same position that this is how the United States State Department, which under Hillary Clinton could have been well established before she got there, but the State Department and intelligence services would spy on foreign diplomats to see if they had like a side piece or a side chick that they could use to threaten them with or, or extort them to vote a certain kind of way on whatever UN resolution or, or you know, even tracking, like, their electronics and, and their computers and keystrokes, all, all kind of hacking going on. 
And then they also use USAID, hundreds of millions of dollars in so-called foreign aid to these countries, U.S. tax dollar money, and they threaten to cut them off from that aid, you vote to end the drug war in your country. If you legalize drugs in your country, Mexico, Colombia, any 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 country in Latin America, guess what? You will not get any more of those DEA $100 million grants. You can kiss that stuff goodbye. That U.S. arms and and helicopters, and no, you will not be getting any more U.S. hardware to fight the quote-unquote drug war with. So, U.S. is not happy. The State Department is not happy with South Africa, and this is a report from the African Diaspora News Channel of Philip, I believe, where is Philip from? Somewhere in in the South, if I'm not mistaken, um, is is where Philip is based, and he is the founder and one of the main hosts on the African Diaspora channel, which is, again, found on YouTube, and he might be on other platforms as well. But let's listen to what what Phillips' report, um, an excerpt from his report from earlier today. I'm sure I uploaded it. No, before we play Phillips, this is this is what um, some of the the, the uh, South African president Ramaphosa, I think is his name, how you pronounce it. Um, but him and other South African officials have said about the Ukrainian-Russian uh, conflict. So U.S. official, excuse me, South African official on the conflict. In a last-ditch effort to find a peaceful solution, South Africa's International Relations and Cooperation Minister Nalede Pando has always been clear that the full-on conflict will not benefit anyone. Instead, the Ukrainians will bear the brunt of the conflict, and all diplomatic avenues should be pursued to avoid a war in Ukraine. We are calling for the same approach in the Ukraine-Russia tension that is clearly being exploited by those hostile to Russia for purposes of once again unjustifiably unjustifiably extending spheres of influence. We urge calm and restraint. Threats and posturing will not resolve the current tension. On the recent tsunami of coups in West Africa, South Africa says instability and unconstitutional change of government will not lead to prosperity. Our continent is being diverted from its development priorities by the recent increase in military coups and the violence of terrorism. Our parliament needs to help Africa to unearth the root causes of this instability and to work closely with agencies of the African Union, particularly Auda Nepal and the APRM, to address them. Another thorny issue is over the granting of Israel observer status by the AU Commission Chair Mustafa Mohammed. 
Pretoria is still vehemently opposed to the move, saying the AU is clear about fighting against the oppression of the Palestinians. Our concerns are substantive and they are shared by at least 24 other African Union member states. Yes, it is true that South Africa has diplomatic relations with Israel, but this can't be used by anyone as a reason for bringing Israel into our union. Meanwhile, South Africa stresses it will continue to champion foreign policy that seeks to achieve peace and stability, including in some countries like South Sudan, Eswatini and Lesotho. Kyle Kumalo, SABC News, Johannesburg. All right, that was a report uh, from a South African news source. And can't make it any more clear than how she put it. She was like, hey, we're recommending peaceful uh, resolution to these situations that come from talking rather than posturing and, and threatening people, which is always the go-to move for the United States. Again, this is the land I live in. I'm be its biggest critic until it's a land that we all can be proud of, one that is practicing justice, and I don't see that they've been practicing justice and threatening South Africa to take a militant position on Russia, one of their allies is part and part of the BRICS nation, which Philip will bring that up, you know, in, in his clip. But she was like, hell, we came, we came to power through peaceful means now. She's fudging the truth a little bit. You know, the ANC, the African National Congress that fought against the apartheid government had a military wing or militant component, an uh, insurgency, if you will, against the white supremacist government of South Africa during um, that, that apartheid period, which is another, you know, related but unrelated to the main point I'm making is Israel has been described by a number of human rights bodies and organizations as an apartheid state, which Israel did support the South African um, apartheid government, white supremacist government. I tell you, boy, I, I don't know how the saying goes that war makes strange bedfellows, but we also see the Israelis siding with the Ukrainians with their Nazi battalions and neo-Nazi uh, politicians and collaborators. <laughs> You're not resigning because Nazis have been integrated into the military and the, and the national government. So you're a collaborator calling them out. You're a collaborator. And so again, war makes strange bedfellows. Here you have a Zionist, quote unquote, Jewish state who is picking sides against the Russians in, and siding with neo-Nazis in, in Ukraine, where they have a statue to Stephen Bandera. This goes back to the previous podcast. A white supremacist neo, uh, um, white supremacist Nazi collaborator, a Ukrainian who uh, helped orchestrate the murder of 120,000 Jews in Ukraine during um, World War II. These are facts. These are facts coming with nothing but the facts. Prove me wrong. So um, this is what Philip had to say. 
on uh, his channel. So the U.S. is urging South Africa to clarify its stance on the war in Ukraine. Now, back in the European Union's push for President Cyril Ramaphosa's administration to take a harder line against the Russian invasion. Now, they say on the day the invasion began, South Africa's foreign ministry urged Russia to immediately withdraw its forces and respect Ukraine's territorial integrity. A day later, Ramaphosa took a different take, saying that, that Joe Biden should agree to an unconditional meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin to avert war and call for dialogue, which that would be a good thing, right? And say, he said while the U.S. supports South Africa's call for negotiations, it also wants a strong, unified stance against Russia. Now, they say acting U.S. Ambassador Todd Haskell said in remarks aired on Johannesburg-based broadcaster ENCA. Now, he says, and I quote, we think it's really important when we look at the unprovoked aggression, this attack against democracy, Russia's war against Ukraine, Putin's war on Ukraine, it's important to say it is wrong. Now, I said South Africa is also among 16 of the African 54 nations that, like China and India, abstained this week from voting on a United Nations resolution condemning the incursion. Now, I said eight of the nations weren't present for the vote and one Eritrea opposed it. Now, South Africa's response to the war reflects an attempt to balance historic ties to Russia with its economic links to the U.S. and also Europe. Now, Russia was also a key ally in the ruling African National Congress fight against the white minority rule that ended in 1994. So Russia was against an apartheid government that supported black people. And like South Africa, South Africa is a member of the five-nation group of emerging markets known as BRICS. Now, that is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Uh, now, still, they say Russia's economic ties to South Africa are negligible, if they were compared with the EU and the U.S., which along with China rank as its top three trading partners. Now, the EU ambassador to South Africa, Rina Kionka, said uh, she expressed frustration with South Africa's position. Why are you frustrated, ma'am or sir, whoever? Why are you frustrated? Why? They said what they said. This is this, this what the response is. Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I meant to say ma'am. <laughs> Sitting on the fence uh, is not an option. That, that's, what, that's what the female said. Uh, in a email response to questions, say, once we figure out what the South African government stance really is, the EU will consider what the repercussions are, she said. Now, hold on. It is not South Africa's war. South Africa didn't say, hey, Russia, go over there and invade Ukraine. South Africa hasn't sent any troops over there. Matter of fact, their students have been trapped and they're trying to get their students back home. Why is it that you got to tell South Africa, no, you take a position. You, you basically trying to bully South Africa to say what they want them to say. Why? If anybody needs to say something, the EU needs to say something because that's a war in your backyard. You, matter of fact, need to go over there and stop Putin yourself. That's in your backyard. Why are you worrying about what South Africa got to say about it? It doesn't make sense. Talking about some repercussions. So, so what, what is that supposed to mean? You want to start putting sanctions on South Africa because they say, well, I don't really want to get involved with that. Now, the president come out and he's weighed in on the, South, on the invasion of Ukraine. and He's calling for a dispute to be settled through mediation rather than through the barrel of the gun. Now, I say writing his weekly open letter to the public is that the president said that negotiation, dialogue and compromise may seem out of touch and even fanciful. It said, but that South Africa had attained democracy through a negotiated settlement. Now, he said that we remain steadfast in our conviction that achieving world peace through negotiation and not force of arms is indeed attainable. This is the principle on which 
We have been consistent since the advent of our democracy and which remains an important part of our foreign policy orientation. All right, so that was Philip of the African Diaspora News Channel. Uh, you can find them on YouTube. That's where I pulled that clip from. And, again, you're threatening South Africa because South Africa doesn't want to get involved in parrot what you want them to say in voting for this resolution. Again, as I opened up, I talked about the bribery and then if it, if it isn't bribery, then it's the threat of taking those briberies, taking those bribes away, which is what the sanctions are. You don't do what we want to do, we we gonna sanction you. Is that in is that in in um is that a democratic principle? This is this isn't about democracy. If it was about democracy, the United States wouldn't have overthrew using neo-Nazi militias to overthrow um, the democratically elected president in 2014 who had been in office three years, who who I have heard sources described as corrupt, but <laughs> names as if that's unique to Ukraine, as if we don't have corrupt politicians and have had corrupt presidents in the United States. But that's, the U.S. is practicing white supremacy here. This is what they're practicing, threatening a non-white nation, that if you don't do what Matthew say, Matthew's going to pull out the whip in the form of sanctions and beat you into compliance. And then they act like these nations don't have their own intelligence gathering apparatus as if they can't read world news reports and come to their own conclusions and, and decisions. And maybe they're figuring that we're going to abstain for this vote. We're not going to vote for it. We're not going to vote against it. We're going to say we ain't involved. That's We've determined that's the best diplomatic position for us to take. We're abstaining. My name is Bennett, and I ain't in it. Okay? And then you're going to sanction them for that? This white supremacy. And then, like, they don't know about the 2014 coup. Like, they don't know the United States, particularly the last administration being the Reagan administration, that upheld the white supremacist government. They call it apartheid, mean the same thing. U.S. supported that apartheid government all them decades and decades and decades. Made it illegal to try to boycott South African companies. And I was way, man, we talking 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe for me, 40, yeah, about 40 years ago. And I, I recall that. But you have you have a history of, of doing this as a as a government, the U.S. government. You have a history. It's like an old dog can't learn new tricks. They just put it on repeat, and it continues to work on the public because of the psychology 
of mass media programming, often referred to as propaganda. But that's just crazy, man. The audacity, the arrogance, and you want to talk about democracy or you want to talk about a dictatorship. Your 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 democratic talking points don't match your actions, U.S. government, and in this case, Biden administration. Just disgusting me to me, man. And if I hadn't known about these neo-Nazi uh, Ukrainians being integrated, not banned, but integrated in a military integrated into their government, not banned. I wouldn't, and, and Joe Biden running point on that. If Trump had talked about that instead of talking about Hunter Biden, who was fair game? He over there in this corrupt country taking uh, 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 free money, basically, and these people ain't put him on them boards with, without the intention of using him to influence his father. Let's keep it real now. Not saying that wasn't a legitimate issue for Trump to bring up, but if he'd have brought up the neo-Nazi angle, I would have abstained from from voting for Biden. But he didn't bring it up because guess what? He supports white supremacists too, and he supported them Ukrainian nationalists and what have you, but as he often has shown us that he is all about himself. And so he put that military aid that you've been giving them to these neo-Nazis and, and Nazi collaborators to threaten Russia with tons and tons of this military weaponry. And Trump said, I'm going to put it on pause. If you don't give us dirt on Biden, that's the allegation, and I think it was proven in his first impeachment trial. But still, they, the U.S. government has been funneling our tax money to neo-Nazis in Ukraine. That brings us to the end of this broadcast. I want to thank my caller, Mike. Uh, from Singapore, thanks for weighing in and chiming in from your part of the war- world, and hopefully we'll be back on air fairly soon. Peace and blessings to all. Good night.